The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley. This episode is part two of a two-part series all about the mysterious D.B. Cooper. On the eve of Thanksgiving 50 years ago, a man known only as D.B. Cooper boarded a plane in Portland headed for Seattle. In the previous episode, which I do recommend you listen to before going on to this one, Museum of Flight docent Mike Burns shared the events leading up to D.B. Cooper's vanishing act with hundreds of thousands of dollars out of the back of an aircraft. Today, he continues the story. Cooper's gone. The money's gone. There's the remains of two of the four parachutes that, that he demanded. And then he... He had left his black clip-on tie on the seat or the, or the adjacent seat of which he was sitting back in 18, uh, 18F or 18E, 18F. And he left the, his tie there with the mother of pearl uh, tie clasp. What an intriguing clue just to leave behind. Now, there were a few, just a, a couple of, a handful of other little things um, that were on board. Apparently, there was an in-flight magazine uh, that Cooper uh, was, was reading. Um, he was smoking. Uh, back then, about half of American males smoked. Uh, so smoking, smoking, and you could smoke on airplanes. That, that wasn't a big deal back then. Um, and, uh, and, and he smoked, and he left cigarette butts in the ashtray, and, which the FBI collected. Uh, and then he also had, there were some um, cups that he left behind. He drank uh, bourbon and sodas. Uh, that was his special drink, and uh, he also left those cups behind. Uh, and so, b- between um, the in-flight magazine, the cigarette butts, and then the cups, uh, that was about it. The, the the FBI searched the plane uh, intensely, and there was essentially, other than those things and the tie and the remains of the parachutes, there was nothing. There was nothing left. He took the bomb with him, or he threw it out or the fake bomb or whichever, uh, he took the parachutes, um, he, he, you know, and, uh, and he just has basically vanished. And that was 50 years ago. And has there been any sign since then? So during the flight, there were airplanes scrambled out of McCorda Air Force Base to follow the hijacked plane. Uh, and uh, they were F-106s, I believe. And McCord is just, just south of Seattle. Yeah, McCord. Now it's a joint base, Lewis McCord Air Force Base. Um, and uh, but uh, but apparently the the plane was flying so slowly, <laughs> at slow and low. This is flying. The Cooper had instructed the plane to fly at ten thousand feet at about one hundred and sixty miles an hour, uh, with the flaps at at fifteen, which is essentially a landing configuration. Um, it, one of several landing configurations but anyway this is slow and low uh and uh i'm not sure what the stall speed on an f-106 is but i would guess it's it's right around in there um and and what the range the fuel range on a 106 uh is either but 
uh, it probably orbited around the hijacked plane for a while. I think there was also a T, there was a trainer uh, that was also Chase. Um, so it's, there was much interest right away on, on trying to uh, thwart this hijacking or skyjacking. But those, those chases were fruitless. They didn't never see anybody jump out. Of course, it was a cloudy November, you know, it's kind of a stormy November Northwest evening. So good luck there. And then when the plane landed, of course, you know, everybody knew that that had been hijacked and, and it was searched. They brushed for fingerprints, you know, the works. They collected the, whatever evidence they could. But apparently the, the, there, there were no, latent, no usable latent foot fingerprints uh, on the magazines or, or, or the seat, you know, the, the hand rests or anything that he, he might have touched. Of course, back then, the DNA was not a thing. Basically, the investigation started just with, um, you know, who, who, were, who were the closest people in that orbit? Um, you know, who, who, was, who, who was on the flight manifest? Uh, you know, could it have been the crew? Uh, could it have been an inside job? Was it somebody who worked for Northwest Orient Airlines, disgruntled employee, uh, disgruntled Boeing employee? Uh, and so, th and then, and then there were all these tips coming into, uh, I think in the end, the FBI interviewed about a thousand or they had about a thousand suspects, uh, that they were, that they were cranking, cranking through. And they were spending a lot, a lot of money trying to figure this thing out. Uh, but, but essentially to, to, to no avail that the FBI, they, they've not, they, the, the language is tricky, but they haven't given up the case. But I think that their phraseology is something like this in 2005, I think they said, or is it 2015? Maybe 2015. They said something like, we are not actively, we're not actively pursuing the case. Or, but, but if you know anything, let us know. How can people encounter D.B. Cooper at the museum? Can they meet him there? <laughs> For one, I just want to put it on record. I am not D.B. Cooper, okay? Um, it, and and I know that Sean isn't either because Sean's younger than I am, so there's it's just impossible. Um, and so uh, so yeah, so so you know maybe this is the origin story of you know why why am I interested in this? And and I'm no Cooper file or anything. I mean I I as a docent at the museum, it's my responsibility to you know to be knowledgeable about subjects. Uh, especially uh, if, if they if they come up in in conversation or a, a museum guest says, "Hey, what's that?" or "What's the story behind that thing?" or "Why do you have that?" or or whatever. And so, of all things, uh, you know, back a few years ago, after the aviation pavilion was was finally put together, uh, I was doing my rounds as a as a docent and and uh, you know checking in with the visitors and making sure they didn't have any questions or anything. And uh, and at that point, um, these as as some people would refer to the, these creepy mannequins start showing up. And uh, there, there was this uh, B-17 pilot in front of our, our, our magnificent B-17. There was a, a captain and a flight attendant uh, walking away from the, our 747, the very first one ever built. And I rounded the, the back end and, and came around uh, the back of the 727 and I, I sort of, I was like, what's this? this here's a guy in a business suit uh, holding a, a, a backpack under one arm uh, and uh, with a parachute kind of leaking out of it. And then this bag of money. And I'm like, oh my word, it's, it's, it's a statue of D.B. Cooper. Oh yeah, cool. 
And uh, of course I knew, you know, having grown up in the Northwest, I knew the story. Um, it, you know, it, it seemed like in the local news uh, around Christmas time that this thing, you know, would pop up every once in a while. Oh, remember, this is the 20th anniversary of the Cooper hijacking, the only unsolved hijacking in, in FBI history. And uh, this statue, and I thought, oh boy, you know, I better brush up on my D.B. Cooper uh, knowledge. Uh, because you know it's this is right in your face, and then there's plaques that you know talk about the hijacking and talk about the missing money uh, and talk about the found money. So I, I decided to br to brush up on it. You found that uh, visitors inspired by this mannequin had questions, and you wanted to make sure that you had answers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you as a, as I think as a, a proper as a decent docent, uh, I think you want to be prepared for you know for the answer or for questions um, that, that come up, especially when, when something's so obvious, you know, having a, a statue of D.B. Cooper there and, and people may ask. Also, um, you know, the position of that, of that statue is in a great place because, you know, that Cooper story doesn't, doesn't really work without those air stairs. Uh, and they're right there. You can see that they're not deployed in our museum, but you can see the outline of the of the stairs themselves, and it's really easy to pick out. Uh, and 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 uh, and the story is just fascinating. I mean, you know how many unsolved FBI cases are there? There are just so few. Uh, and and certainly the fact that this happened in the Northwest, it's sort of infamous. Um, there's so many facets to the story that, you know, whether you like, you know, whether you're into aviation or mystery or you know, for seemingly victimless crimes. Um, there's something in this story for everybody. And there's just so many different ways you can research this or look into it, or, you know, you think that you might have a relative that's new D.B. Cooper or sat down at a bar with him or something. Uh, so it's sort of, it's sort of endless. And I think it's got, it's got something, it's got something for everybody. And certainly in this Cooper case, you know, as far as the museum goes, we have a, we can tell the story there. Uh, you can see the story for yourself, parts of it anyway. You know, we've got uh, the type of plane uh, that Cooper hijacked, the 727. We have a type of plane uh, that would have done the aerial uh, reconnaissance immediately after the hijacking and a Blackbird, or that would have been an SR-71. Uh, ours is MD-21, it's different. We even have the camera lens uh, that the SR-71 uses uh, to take its aerial uh, photography. We've got one in our brand new uh, Vietnam exhibit. And so you can see that. And so we can kind of tell the story uh, in the museum. I, I mean, they're all spread out, but we can still tell the story of Cooper um, with artifacts and, and people can really get, get into the head of, you know, the SR-71 pilot who was flying the route, like to take the pictures, trying to find a parachute, trying to find a, you know, trying to find Cooper or whatever, um, and the plane and the air stairs and, and all of it. So. As you said, uh, this is a, a quintessential Seattle story for those who uh, remember back that long, which is not me, but a lot of visitors to the museum who, who born and raised here remember... D.B. Cooper or heard about D.B. Cooper have their own theories. Uh, even the airline ha had a hub here, Northwest Airlines. And uh, so uh, we would invite you listeners, 
If you have a, I don't know, like a miniature call-in show, maybe. If you have a D.B. Cooper story or, or a memory, send us an email at podcast at museumofflight.org or send us questions if you want to learn more. And uh, we can do a follow-up episode to these here with your stories, your memories, your questions, and see what you have out there in podcast listener land. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for your time today, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to the look forward to the future. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Special thanks to our donors, those who've been able to give financially to the podcast. Your dollars keep this show going. If you'd like to become a donor, head to museumofflight.org slash podcast and click the yellow donate button. Another way to support the show for free is to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. As we discussed in the episode, you can see D.B. Cooper on your next visit to the Museum of Flight. Make sure you stop out in the Aviation Pavilion to check out the Boeing 727 on display. And of course, next to it, you'll find the mannequin of D.B. Cooper. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs>